0: The Disney sale in 2012 ushered in a whole lot of changes in a new era of Star Wars animation. As we said goodbye to fan favorites, we also got to welcome in new characters, shows, and projects. Welcome to Talkers. Here are your hosts,
1: Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to the second episode of our Lucasfilm animation series, our summer series. We are in part two, which means we have reached 2012.
0: (laughs) We're here. In the last episode, we covered basically from the holiday special until the release of the original run of The Clone Wars, Mm -hmm. so that's where we are in the timeline and in this episode there's like a whole lot of random stuff that happens <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs>
1: yeah i think that last last episode was uh, very sequential and we were also covering a lot more time whereas now we're looking at you know 2012 to 2018 and there's a lot going on so it's going to be a little bit all over the place it's some part history some part personal anecdotes, some part analysis, just a little bit of everything in this episode. Quite the mixed bag, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to reiterate, if this is your first time listening and you didn't listen to part one, we're just fans. We are compiling sources from our different books that we have, different articles we've seen online, different press releases, and we're just fans compiling it all together and creating a sort of timeline and commenting on it in our own objective way. So... Take that as you will. And should we get going, Caitlin? Yeah, I think we should. Okay, awesome. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the Disney sale and the changes that followed. And in part
1: two, we're going to be reflecting on Star Wars Rebels.
0: And in part three, we're going to be discussing Strange Magic, Lego Star Wars Freemakers, and Forces of Destiny. So without further ado, let's get started.
2: Obviously, I've been talking about retiring for several years now. I wanted to get into sort of another stage of life where I'm not in the film business anymore and I don't have to run a corporation. And it occurred to me one day that the perfect person to take over the company was Kathy. It's just such a perfect fit. But I felt that I really wanted to put the company somewhere in a larger entity which would protect it. Disney is a huge corporation. They have all kinds of capabilities and facilities, so that there's a lot of uh, strength that is gained by this. The great thing about Disney, again, as we were saying before, is that you know it's between the parks and all the things they've got going. It's great that we have a chance probably to expand that, and uh, you know there's lots and lots of opportunities at Disney that we wouldn't have at any other studio.
1: Welcome to part one, where we're going to be starting right in the very beginning of this. Uh, Chunk of timeline, which is 2012, which the press release that was heard around the world, <laughs> the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney, which happened on October 30th, 2012. This is one of those moments where it's kind of like a where were you when you heard the news? And uh, where were you, Charlotte?
0: At Starbucks with my friends in a car, yeah. not answering my phone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh yeah (laughs) where was I on my bed screaming in my sophomore apartment with my three other roommates who uh knew that I was a big Star Wars fan but like didn't really know well that's
0: the funny thing about this announcement is that it really exposed a part of us that (laughs) was kind of laying dormant it was kind of it was kind of just uh watching Clone Wars whenever we possibly could we were in college at this point and mm-hmm. Star Wars felt like it was kind of winding down and Clone Wars was still happening we were still watching it but I was catching up not watching them week to week unfortunately no. like, this is I'm a bad fan at this point point. and <laughs> when Caitlin called I was out with some of my friends and we were just returning to campus and I was like oh my god I have 20 missed calls <laughs> this is so crazy and then you know I scroll through my phone notifications and like a news alert and so many people texting me and I'm like oh my god this is insane
1: (laughs) this is it and I'm still in my room like where are you (laughs) yeah I I do think it's funny because you're right this was kind of I guess like dormant time for us with with Star Wars really like 2011 2012 um even though we were still watching Clone Wars I mean we were in college we were busy right like I I didn't have cable in college either so <laughs> I was watching this at random times. So to see this announcement it was really like, "Oh, this is serious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My fandom is about to seriously change. Like yeah. we're going to kick things back into high gear, which is yeah. really exciting because I I the whole thing I remember only having extremely positive feelings about. I love Disney. I love Disney as a brand. I love Disney parks. So this entire announcement to me about Lucasfilm acquiring Disney, this was also previously after Pixar and Marvel were acquired, and things were doing super well then. And it just felt like, well, this is going to be great because Mm -hmm. it's good to be a part of this. I think it was always a natural sort of puzzle piece fit. For Lucasfilm and Disney, we've talked about this before on the show, but George Lucas and Disney have, like, a very long-standing uh, history together, particularly – I think my one of my favorite fun facts about this is that George Lucas was actually there on the very first day of Disneyland's opening, and – I, I just think that's like, a, a, they just go way back, you know? <laughs> I can't that's, even imagine you. that. Yeah. <laughs> imagine just thinking about the fact that George was like, I don't know, four or five when he was one of the first people to ever go into Disneyland when it opened. And then later, he sold his company for $4.1 billion to the Walt Disney Company. So I, I to me, that's just kind of remarkable. And I know that this for some people, this was like a negative emotion. But for Caitlin and I, I think that we just had so many questions. We were so excited about the fact that first off, this was announced. And then we were a little like, oh, my God, this means new movies. What? They're making episode seven? That was to me, I remember that piece of information being lost in the press release. And it Took a second to be like, oh my god, they're making more Star Wars movies. It's oh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, that's actually happening in the next three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so yeah. crazy.
1: I think that was the biggest takeaway was like, they are going to be new Star Wars movie, and it was it was interesting. I. If you if you've got the time definitely go back and look through some of the the articles that were being written about this sale and as people started talking and speculating the rumor mill about what episode 7 was going to be you know by October 31st at 9 a.m in 2012 there are already hundreds of articles about episode 7 and it, it really is incredible I don't think that I you know in the immediate aftermath of this announcement, was even thinking about anime about like Clone Wars because Clone Wars was airing its fifth season on Cartoon Network during this time. And that wasn't my first thought. (laughs) And then it was like, once you kind of get off the hype machine of wow, new Star Wars movies, it's like, wait a Wait a second. <laughs> How does this all fit? Wait, hold on just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some pieces here that I'm I haven't considered fully. <laughs> yeah,
0: let's let's go back to the press release and hear what Bob Iger has to say. He says we really like Star Wars' potential on TV as well. And we think Cable Satellite Channel and Disney XD will be a great home for that. This is one of the great entertainment properties of all time, one of the best branded and one of the most valuable. And it's just fantastic for us to have the opportunity to, opportunity to both buy it, run it and grow it.
1: Um. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I remember
0: I do remember being like, oh, but Clone Wars is on Cartoon Network. Oh, that's fine. I'll just change
1: it. It's fine. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of us thought was going to happen.
0: Yeah, because I think that from that statement, it was like, oh, well, they'll just move their home. We know that George Lucas always retains the rights to everything. And I still think that remains. But one has to wonder if there was some tension about something that was being created and produced and put out on a um, competing channel Mm
1: -hmm. during
0: this time and whether there was some sort of tension over that. Because I can imagine that there was. And I... I think that as the dust kind of settled, it was like, "Oh, okay." This the the future is a little uncertain here, and man, that's kind of weird and scary because this is the only Star Wars right now that I know
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's being produced, and I love it. And so the 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 rumors about whether that would be canceled, I never believed, but yeah. you still, I was, still was like, "Oh." I can't even imagine that because it's something that is so personal to George Lucas that, I don't know, it's it's weird. It's a weird thing to kind of put myself back in that position and remember what that was like and wondering what the future of something that I loved so much was going to be because I just felt like we were really just getting started and we were just getting going.
1: Yeah, I think when you think about this period of this, as a Star Wars fan, this like six months Oh my God, <laughs> so much happens. You have the announcement of the sale, the announcement of new films, the cancellation of Star Wars, Clone Wars, and then also that, you know, the Detours was never going to be released. And then the announcement of Star Wars Rebels. Like that, that's funny because just today there have been rumors about other Star Wars shows when we're recording this. And there's like rumors of you know 15 tv shows and 27 films in the pipeline <laughs> and but re- remembering this period with all of these big changes which is kind of um if you if you're tallying the changes and rumors it kind of pales in comparison to where we're at now but back then it was like one hit after another it was like oh in order to get my new my episode 7 i have to give up clone wars <laughs> oh Man, (laughs) and detours, uh, uh, detours wasn't quite the same kind of hit just because it never actually aired. But you and I have been huge fans of Robot Chicken and their Star Wars specials. It was something we loved to watch on repeat (laughs) in in high school and in middle school, and we were often quoting it back and forth. And and you know, Seth Green was on Star Wars Clone Wars as well. So, um, knowing that he was making a show, I think that was always something that was kind of interesting, but. I can't say that I was devastated at not getting it, but not get seeing the end of Clone Wars and seeing where it ended in season five, too, before knowing that season six was coming, it was like, whoa, this <laughs> is rough AF. Yeah. It's, it is it's
0: it, it is really rough. And when you read and go back and read the press releases about this time period, you do feel a little bit, a, a major sting of an end of an era. Mm-hmm. So on March 11th in 2013, Lucasfilm p- put out a press release called A New Direction for Lucasfilm Animation, where they announced that they ceased production of The Clone Wars and shelved essentially detours. Um, and I just want to read this paragraph because I think it was pretty... It was a lot. Quote, as we enter an exciting new era focused on the next Star Wars trilogy, Lucasfilm has decided to pursue a new direction in animated programming. We are exploring a whole new Star Wars series set in a time period previously untouched in Star Wars films or television programming. You can expect more details in the months to come. It's really I read that and I'm like. Oh my god, how crazy is it, Caitlin, that the original trilogy era between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope was previously untouched? It's So funny. (laughs) Isn't it? I was like, I read that. I was like, that has to be a mistake.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's not. But it's not. It's not. (laughs) It's not. I also forgot that in this, like, string of announcements, too, it's when Legends was decanonized, or rather confirmed that it wasn't canon, too. So there was a lot it was a lot, a lot of emotions. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is um, on the on about detours is that Seth Green was actually interviewed. This article came out, I think, like a week ago <laughs> or something, like very recently. And he actually talked about detours, which, like I said before, I haven't detours was never something that I kept super close tabs on. So I never had a, a big attachment to it or, or really reading too much about it. But he had this really interesting comment about detours and kind of. Why it got shelved and how he still had basically he was just speaking very highly of Kathy Kennedy and how he still had a lot of admiration for her. But um, his comment uh, speaks to, I guess, what was kind of the climate of the company at the time in in 2012 and 2013, which is why I pulled it because I thought it was interesting. And he said, When Kathleen took over the company, she said something to me that I'll never forget. It was her responsibility to steward the brand into the future, into perpetuity. And to that end, it was about what the next 30 years of Star Wars was about. And she made it very clear how dutifully she accepted the challenge of giving new content to the next generations in all these different forms, Green explained. So the only thing I can say about detours is there hasn't been a moment where the shape and style of the show, which was created at a time when there wasn't a plan to make new Star Wars movies, has been able to fit into what the company's intended offerings are. Whether that'll change in the future, I can't say. I thought this was a really interesting comment and how it basically came down to detours just didn't fit into what they were planning. Um, I guess even like the tone of what they intended for the future of star wars and i this to have been a fly on the wall in this conversation in particular we talk about this a lot like what conversation would you want to listen on i kind of think that this would be an outlier but i want in (laughs) (laughs) you know like seth green and kathleen kennedy picture it please just for a moment The way that she told Seth Green about wanting to make sure that Star Wars was built to last, this is something that we talk a lot about on the show about what makes Star Wars unique from a lot of other franchises, film franchises specifically, is that it it has this legacy of 40 plus years and it knows that it's going to endure for another 40 because it already has. And that that is a very different kind of pressure than like Marvel. Marvel of course has its own legacy, but that like longevity is built on comics and like TV shows and stuff like that. And it's a very different Genesis than Star Wars, I think on that front. And so this, this was a part of of Kathy's kind of mindset when they were thinking about the development of Rebels and then the shelving of Detours. I just find really fascinating. Yeah,
0: I do too. Another thing that's really kind of interesting about Detours is the rumor mill. I'm just remembering this, but all the episodes are complete, so mm-hmm. them shelving this, I think, was and still remains kind of this elusive fandom rumor about are they coming out? Are they going to be <laughs> released <it> <laughs> on? Yeah, on on Disney Plus. I think that just like last month, I heard that rumor. So it's crazy to consider that, and even in the in the press release, it does say that we'll revisit this at a later date. Who knows where that later date is? But apparently, they're all done. Also, another thing to keep in mind with, with Disney is Disney has a very strict policy about something they call character integrity. And that means in, in a lot of different places, particularly in the Disney parks, it means if you play a certain character in the parks, like say you're you know, behind the mask of Mickey Mouse, like you're not allowed to talk about that. They have very different language about how you discuss that and even just now talking about it it's like a taboo thing to even talk about <laughs> and among the disney circle it's it which is kind of strange but i do know that disney i think before they were like you know in this sort of agreement about using their characters and things like star wars weekends and in sort of a jokey manner um and once disney acquired the brand i think that they really wanted to move away from this this jokey darth vader and really kind of push the characters to the fact that these are space operatic characters with gravitas and treat the franchise seriously. And like Seth Green talks about, there was no, when they made this, there was no Star Wars movies on the horizon. So sort of joking about them and sort of revisiting them on these different, in these different lights. Yeah, sure. It's not for everyone, but it was fair ground because there was nothing really on the horizon except for things like Clone Wars. No Mm -hmm. films, nothing that was going to make a billion dollars at the box office. So I I think that to me, this announcement made sense. I wasn't surprised by this. In fact, I think I just kind of glazed over it because what I really cared about was the Clone Wars. I think just even revisiting this time, March 2013, it was like, okay, so that's happening. Those rumors were true. And then after that, Lucasfilm Animation and LucasArts the gaming center within Lucasfilm was closed down and layoffs happened and if you think about the timeline all this kind of stuff like the Lucasfilm animation sort of shrunk and i think at this point as a fan we were all like okay so they're they want to focus on a new show but will it even be as good as the clone wars in the last episode we spent some time talking about what it means to be like sort of a darker tone series. I think that that was even questioned about like, are they even going to be able to reach those, those lengths when something that's so Disney-fied? And the answer is yes, because we love Rebels and Rebels is able to reach these emotional beats that I think Clone Wars didn't even. (laughs) That's my (laughs) personal opinion, but I I think that there was a, a lot of anxiety about this in this period about people that we were losing that we had grown to love and that were had grown to that those people also had grown to love the company and worked so hard at there that were leaving and it was it was really a big question mark about like what's the future of Disney Star Wars going to be or Disney Lucasfilm and it's it's interesting because I think that when we look upon Lucasfilm again this is just me speaking as a fan I don't know anything but I think that Lucasfilm is independent, obviously, of Disney, but at this point, it felt like, okay, so how much is one influencing the other? And uh, are we really continuing this mission of George Lucas, who was just, like, charging forward with his ideas and his own budget and everything? It was very different.
1: Uh, Well, I would say that that's still the conversation happening. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But right now, it was at this point in
0: 2013, in spring, it was like... Okay, (laughs) because
1: nothing had come out yet. So it's like, what is it going to be? Yeah, I would also say just kind of going back to what you were mentioning about character integrity with detours. What is so fascinating about that is that something like Star Wars Weekends existed in the Disney parks which does not anymore. (laughs) And something like the hyperspace hoopla, which just has a ton of fun with the Star Wars characters, Um, which I remember seeing comments on the hyperspace hoopla videos, people being like, they shouldn't portray Vader like that, you know, which if you don't know hyperspace hoopla was basically um, a dance contest between all of the Star Wars characters and they would have like their, like the Empire team and the light side team. And it was like the Jedi order would come out and Luke and Leia and Ahsoka. And there was this like amazing Vader and Padme Amidala, like Phantom Menace Padme Amidala, Duet. It was a lot. Um, But it was was really fun, too. But I think that's funny when you talk about character integrity, which is, of course, very true for Disney. But the fact that this was happening within their parks, because it wasn't theirs yet. You know, it was a little bit of a different relationship. And knowing that George Lucas himself had been on Robot Chicken in Seth Green's, like, shorts that were... He loved it. He he loved it so much. And so for him to greenlight something like... uh, detours and to have seth green in clone wars and seth green was also in rebels too i just i the irony and kind of all of that is there and it was like once disney owned it they were like okay no more and it's like <laughs> let's take it seriously yeah we're gonna take it seriously now because like it's it's making us money <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the I just, I think that, like I said before, I think that this six months must have been such an emotional roller coaster. working at Lucasfilm in general and within the animation department, kind of wrapping up, really ending on a high with Clone Wars, and not only that, but ending with the question of what happens to Ahsoka, um, which has kind of been one of the driving questions throughout the whole series, and that's where they ended it. And knowing that they had season six you know, in the bag finished, but it wasn't out there, I can imagine was probably really frustrating for the team. And then having to say goodbye to all these people that you've worked with for so long, um, basically shutting down LucasArts completely. I think it's like they left like a skeleton crew basically of LucasArts to handle any, um, like licensing and market like minor marketing things and things that were still basically like out in the public but i mean it wasn't producing new things i just imagined that that must have been incredibly emotional and you think about some of the press that Dave did around Clone Wars Season 7. And he kind of references this time period or just the fact that for Clone Wars Season 7, so many of the people that worked on the original Clone Wars weren't there anymore and how that was really kind of bittersweet for him as the director. And some of that is is from this period right here where there are a ton of layoffs. And when we were doing... Uh, our research for this episode, perusing through different things, um, Joel Aaron, who has worked on a lot of Star Wars, obviously we talked about in last week's episode too, um, but he did this por- – He well, he's a portrait artist, photographer, and he did a portrait series of everyone's last day at Lucasfilm after they were laid off. It's I – I've never seen anything like it and – It's really incredible in kind of a a really somber way, but it was portraits of everyone as they were – like, right after they were laid off. I I don't really know how to describe it. And it's – like, they set up the studio or this, like, little makeshift studio – I think they said in the lobby, in in the building they were in, to photograph people and, like, say goodbye to. It's just – I really don't know how to describe it, but you can really feel the emotion of just how close all these people were and how uh, devastating that, however long that process was, how devastating it must have been.
0: Yeah, that portrait series is just so beautiful, and I'm, I don't, when I look at it, I feel really sad, um, and I think that this was a time period that J.W. Rinsler, who has kind of famously chronicled a lot of making of Star Wars books, uh, got in trouble for trying to chronicle in his time. He was blogging about this time, and uh, I think Disney kind of pulled the plug on it, and I think it was pretty expository, so I, I kind of understand that. It's not good PR, but um, I, I all that to say, this period was a really rough period in terms of downsizing and figuring out what the future of star wars is especially animation so we get to the period of so this was all in spring 2013 and we've been living with the disney announcement for like seven months and then in celebration europe in germany in the summer of 2013 dave filoni kind of makes this short remark about how The Lost, quote, season six episodes, which aren't necessarily all of season six, but episodes that had been finished. The thing about The Lost Missions that were released on Netflix later in the next year, on March 7th, 2014, is they were complete episodes and are complete episodes, yes, but I don't think that they are necessarily the season six that Dave Filoni and crew envisioned. They were episodes that were left over from season five, things that didn't make it in, things that were definitely going to be repackaged for later with a larger story arc as a whole, which is why some of these episodes feel sort of separate. And I know that that's how Clone Wars works with arcs and everything, but um, they contain some of my favorite episodes. Of course, I love the Yoda arc, but I, I feel like they aren't, again, the way that Dave Filoni wanted to end the show, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that also at this time, it was released the uh, unfinished uh, arcs of the Bad Batch arc, Ahsoka, the Ahsoka Walkabout arc, the Crystal arc, um, and some mention of the Caesar Mandalore, but all of that wasn't finished and wasn't completely changed until later, which we'll talk about later in our series.
1: Yeah, the fact that they were even kind of talking about all of this, like we mentioned, like the with um, Ahsoka's Lost Tales panel from I think twenty sixteen, the fact that they talked about all this really meant that they didn't think they were going to do it, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that we even got like the Bad Batch, it was just like, well, it's not happening. <laughs> Season six
0: and some seasons before were also, they sort of outsourced and used other animation companies like Polygon Pictures to work, which was based in Japan, to work on the animation and finish this whole season and previous seasons because the uh, animation department had been smaller and also they just needed more people to work on such a massive show. <sighs> I know. It's it's weird because this was a good time. I remember being like, yes, more Clone Wars and everything. But when I look back on upon, upon it, you know, this was a time where there was just so much unsurety And I I remember knowing deep in my bones that I was going to love The Force Awakens, that I was going to love Episode 7. But there's so much wild speculation and different announcements and everything. And whether or not i was gonna like that more than i liked the clone wars and it was just a shift it was a major change in star wars and star wars fandom and new people were coming on board and things that you know crews that we had grown to really really love and hear from in terms of how they ideate about star wars were kind of leaving and moving on and new projects and again just I have to use this word but there's such an anxiety about what comes next and I think that Caitlin and I both felt I don't want to speak for you but we felt like we were like welcome with open arms whatever they give us but there was that oh no like I don't want to say goodbye to Ahsoka (laughs) and I still think that in when we talk about the end of season five I still feel like that was a fitting end if they Mm -hmm. ended there like thank God that they had that ending. If anything else, it would just really feel unfinished.
1: Yeah, and
0: I, I, I do feel like that was at least a, cl- a some sense of a closure on Ahsoka's story. Um, but at the same time, I'm so glad that we have more Clone Wars.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think that. I think that this season, I still, like, what I think about the end of the Clone Wars, obviously now we have the Siege of Mandalore. But until the Siege of Mandalore, I always thought of that arc with Ahsoka as the series finale, even after we got season six and the Lost Missions. Um, for some reason, that just kind of always stuck in my head because it was so emotional. It has the different ending, like the closeout with the credits. It just It just worked, I mm-hmm. thought. It gave me enough closure with the character, while also, similar to the finale, Rebels <laughs> made me want more uh, and felt satisfied, but still questioning. And also the actual ending now of Clone Wars, it's, it's a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> but during this time, we did have the development. I mean, you think about it and it's like 2012 to 2014 when Rebels finally aired. It's a lot going on. And like you said, a lot of uncertainty. And even though we finished up um, Clone Wars in that period, it was this kind of um, anticipation for what Disney's Star Wars would look like. And waiting for that little bit of news about The Force Awakens, who was cast. And, I mean, I remember finding out the names of Ray, Finn, and Poe and hating those names. Yeah, same. <laughs> I was like, why are they all one syllable? Poe, what? <laughs> I remember Poe was my least favorite out of the group as far as the names went. But now it's like... Oh, yeah, it's Ray Finn, Poe, and Kylo, and, like, (laughs) that's that's who they are, you know? But it was just this, this anticipation of just waiting to see what it would look like, especially because Clone Wars had taken such a dark turn, and, like, Cartoon Network kind of was able to do that. They had their adult swim, you know? Like, they had all of, like, more of those adult themes that could exist on Cartoon Network, and that wasn't present on Disney <laughs> and on Disney XC. So there was definitely a lot of trepidation and just just waiting, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during this time that we had the development of the hashtag bring back the Clone Wars, which was really, really prevalent uh, throughout the time period of Rebels. And this hashtag is is ultimately a frustrating one. <laughs> <laughs> um I think especially for you and I, because we, of course, wanted more Clone Wars. And we'll talk about it in part two when we're actually talking about Rebels. But, you know, we were fans of Rebels. And the Bring Back the Clone Wars hashtag seemed to take on this life of, um, at least from our experience, a lot of negativity around Rebels, which was something that we enjoyed immensely but still loved Clone Wars and still wanted Clone Wars back too, like wanted that finale or that last season. um, What was, you know, what they had kind of hinted at, we would have loved to have had that, but we didn't want it at the expense of Rebels. (laughs) And kind of that, um, I don't know, seeing that under everything that was ever posted about Rebels was honestly really frustrating. And it's, it made me angry sometimes, but then like cloners came back, and I was like, "Whoa, hashtags! Cloners saved!" <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the thing. Um, it's it's so hard. This this is one of
0: the many frustrating things about being a fan is that. I wanted them to bring back the Clone Wars, finish the Clone Wars, save the Clone Wars, all those things, all those hashtags, um, because I I think that you and I both felt that Dave Filoni deserved that, deserved a, a, an ending, and so did George Lucas, and I think that we were sad about that, and we wanted to see it, because that, they were all hinted and discussed at all these panels, and it was like, oh my god, we j- I just want to see that, <laughs> you know, and... And but I think it really did come at the expense of excitement over this new series, which Caitlin and I both were giving a chance. Mm-hmm. I think that we had been fans of the Clone Wars since the beginning, so we saw it stumble in the beginning and then find its footing. And I think it for at least for me, it took me a little bit to latch on to, to Star Wars Rebels. But I think that I was always approaching it from the the viewpoint of it's going to get much better, and I I'm in it for the long haul. And to watch a hashtag like that kind of um, take over a series that I – or excitement about the series, not the series. I don't think that the creators were that affected by it because it it had already been in production and everything. But I do think that maybe the actors were. And all of that is just such a shame. And I don't think can really be missed in this discussion about how – tumultuous this time was and joyful, but also tumultuous as a fan, um, just because there's just a major dichotomy going on about what you want from content and what you want from your your fandom and all all these things.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It was it was just hard to see it all the time because, especially, and we're kind of jumping ahead into part two. But I think once Rebels was like up and running, you and I were very much the people that were like, they're not going to bring back Clone Wars. Yeah, <laughs> we we were those people who were like, they're not going to do it. We're like that A and Cartoon Network. We got the Ahsoka finale. They put it like. They put up the Lost Missions. They put up stuff like Bad Batch. They've talked about it.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> it, they it, did it.
1: Yeah, we were like, they're not going to come back to this. So stop with the hashtag. It's frankly mean to Rebels <laughs> is, <laughs> is kind of the viewpoint that we took. And, you know, um, play the clown music. They brought it back. <laughs> but it's still, it still is kind of frustrating with – with just its association with Rebels, and that was pretty much where you saw it the most. And that, that it felt like that hashtag was mean spirited in a lot of ways. And so, to see that hashtag specifically referenced when Clone Wars did come back, I think that was the most frustrating part of all of it. Um, because the Rebels, like, like you were saying, like it was. It, the crew the crew, or the cast probably felt it a lot because I feel like the Rebels crew was online a lot more when their show was airing. And that's just due to like Twitter was much more of a thing from 20, you know, starting in 2014 than uh, it was in 2008, obviously, when Clone Wars first was airing. Um, so I think having to see that on everything you post, I feel like that would have been hard. And um, it just kind of felt not fair. Yeah, totally agree yeah okay well we are getting ahead so are we ready to go into part two yes so this is a whole new era to get into in between episodes three and four yes the
2: opportunity to work in the era that i grew up with you know even though it precedes that era uh, this show will precede episode four is, is still tremendously exciting because this visual language is now open to us and very directly what Ralph McQuarrie was doing is now open to us in a way that we could never exploit on Clone Wars.
1: You look at Ralph's design, and it's a few degrees off of where it was in episode four because it's concept art. That's right. When you use it in Star in Rebels, it's gonna be a few degrees off of episode four because that's where we are in the timeline.
2: Yeah. We said, what if this was CG? What if these paintings you just pop them off and suddenly get in dimension and the same type of camera work that you see in the original films? Uh, That would be a very inspired animated series.
0: Okay, so welcome to part two where we're reflecting on Star Wars Rebels. So put the conversation that we just had in your back pocket because Star Wars Rebels started development in early 2013 when we were learning about the Clone Wars being ultimately cancelled and everything. So things were already being developed. And it had a planned release in late 2014. And the thing is, is that... Rebels began its airing in August 2014 with the shorts, which I feel like people forget all the time Mm -hmm. that Rebels really began with shorts, like small little um, micro, like a micro series almost. It's amazing how often in the, when skimming the history of Lucasfilm and Star Wars animation, the term micro series comes up, I'm finding. (laughs) Yeah. And then it really aired later, two months later in October 3rd with the one hour premiere of Spark of the Rebellion on Disney channel before it moved to Disney XD for its Mm -hmm. permanent home.
1: It's kind of crazy when you think about how fast the development of this show was, right. You know, early 2013 for a planned release in 2014. When you compare that with the Clone Wars, which even though the Clone Wars movie was rushed out, uh, the show was in development from at least, at least 2005 to 2008 it's double the time yeah. <laughs> at least that clone war or that rebels had and rebels had to develop a completely new art style <laughs> and they've talked about this kind of going back to ralph mccoy's concept drawings and the and that kind of style um you know LaSalle is modeled after a lot of ralph's early concepts of alderaan but part of that too is the simplicity of it <laughs> and having that like bold color and um just kind of simplifying details. They reference this a lot with Rebels and its design. It's all kind of working together. It's not like simplifying it just for simplification's sake. There is also the time constraint of getting the job done, but then also the fact that it is reflective of Ralph McQuarrie's style is also a very specific choice. So it's kind of like <laughs> the, you know, art and then business <laughs> working Having to happen at the same time, and I mean, there are just always such mean things that in the early days said about uh, Rebels style, which I've always loved. Rebels style, I always Me thought too. it was it was fun. You look at some of the backgrounds, like the environments of Rebels in season one, and they're absolutely stunning. I think the show I really liked the the color palette of the show it was nice it was nice to have something that was so different from Clone Wars so that it didn't feel like it was just an immediate follow-up to Clone Wars I think that was really important for this show and I know you you did take I think you took a little longer to warm up to Rebels but um for me I I latched onto it a lot more quickly or just rather kind of became just like a little bit more obsessed with it before you did. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think, I mean, that's neither here or there because we both obviously still love it now. But it was – I kind of lost my train of thought, but I just – I really like this show. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say. Uh, Yeah. Tell me more, Caitlin. (laughs) I really do like Rebels. What I think is interesting is that, um, you know, Rebels – now is built as the show that connects Revenge of the Sith to A New Hope. But when you go back and look at a lot of the original press and interviews about this period just before and right after Rebels came out, they're really kind of championing the show as highly influenced by the original trilogy, you know, which, which isn't... False, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because you know it's influenced by Ralph MacQuarie and it's leading up to the rebellion. I mean, the first episode is called Spark of the Rebellion. Like none of this is false, but you then kind of remember that the Force Awakens is in production and kind of everything that we've talked about with Force with the Force Awakens, as far as um, kind of bringing back in the audience who felt maligned by the second trilogy for better or worse. And it, it kind of makes sense that when Rebels was premiering, they really were kind of emphasizing more. Its original trilogy connections, than say its prequel trilogy connections.
0: Yeah, I actually always forget about this, but it's so true because in my in my head, because when Rebels aired, the part the time period that I was most invested in Rebels was around the time period of Rogue One, and. The show did so much to interweave Rogue One and um, kind of use a lot of the elements from that movie. So it's hard for me to often remember that the show was operating as an introduction. And basically, I think the first thing from the Disney era that came out,
1: right? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah, which I think you're so right that that it's easy to understand why this business decision would have been made. To explore this time period before the original trilogy, and to kind of really blow that up
1: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly um yeah, context is key <laughs> <laughs> in so much, and I think that's what's what's kind of cool about, um even though we're kind of looking at things from a very big big picture with this series, it is it is just kind of reframing of remembering that Rebels is the first thing that's coming out in the Disney era. It's leading up to the Force Awakens, which is going to have its own kind of marketing push. And again, like bringing in certain types of fans and stuff like that. So all of this, like at the time it, it wasn't. And also cause we were younger too. It, we didn't necessarily see it, but with Rebels, but now it's like, Oh, this, this is kind of obvious.
0: Yeah. Well, the whole strategy is just, it's, it's very, once you have all these different pieces, you can visualize what Mm -hmm. they were trying to do. They were trying to build out this time period that, you know, has such a rich film history and is so widely regarded as, you know, some of the best movies of all time. So to kind of return to this time period, which, again, makes perfect sense, no matter how you feel about any of the movies, um, it's just... it's it's you're right that it's interesting to now have this context to like look at this box that was created around this first era this first like i don't know this Thing. first phase yeah of yeah of the the Disney Lucasfilm era, which I, don't, I even hesitate to use that sort of moniker, because it's not my favorite, because then it, it really does kind of assert some sort of control from Disney on Lucasfilm. And I don't necessarily think that's 100% correct. I just think that's part of what happens when a company acquires another company, you
1: yeah. know? Yeah, I don't think that's 100% correct, 100% of the time. Yes. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. What the thing that I think – makes Rebels stand out in the whole kind of slew of of animation and animated projects is Rebels Recon. Their Rebels Recon is honestly just the best. (laughs) (laughs) And it is it is honestly a shame that Resistance didn't get anything kind of similar to Rebels Recon because I would have loved to have seen that. And Rebels Recon was I mean, it had its own following. It had its own storylines, memes. Me, I mean the memes. <laughs> Good God, the memes! It was just, it was something that we all always looked forward to online. And again, like rebels existing in like the the. 2014 to 2018, period, it was very different, like where all the behind the scenes features were left mostly predominantly for the DVDs for the Clone Wars. Because again, 2008, that makes sense. We're still like, everyone's still buying DVDs all the time. (laughs) Um, But for Rebels Recon to be putting this show out on YouTube the day after. The newest episode aired, and then having that live element of the questions that could be asked of Pablo or of other cast and crew. It was just, it was really fun. And again, like these behind the scenes features are just really special and the fact that they did it for every single episode of rebels recon or of rebels was just it was really cool (laughs) you know and it's fun if you go back and watch the very first one because when we were doing this when we were writing up our show notes i was like did they actually do it for every single episode i couldn't actually remember if they had it for season one but they did (laughs) (laughs) and they were at the premiere of star wars rebels and that was what the, the first rebels recon was you know andy gutierrez is doing it it's before the Star Wars show has started, it's everything is fresh and new. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought was interesting is because in the very first episode of Rebels Recon, they Andy talks to Killian Plunkett, Pablo Hidalgo, and Joel Aaron, who were all involved in uh, Clone Wars. Pablo Hidalgo is, you know, recently a part of the newly created story group. Like again, a lot of shifts are happening in Star Wars, but Pablo remains a fixture for Star Wars and uh, our Star Wars animation. Excuse me. But one of the questions Andy asked in the very first Rebels recon was, "Tell us about the development of Rebels." And Joel Aaron <laughs> says this thing, which I think is kind of funny. He said, uh, "Do you want me to?" T- he he's basically like, "Do you want me to take it all the way back, like when we first started talking about new Star Wars animated shows, or like about this show in particular?" And Andy was like, uh, "Take me all the way back," and says, "Yeah, I still have the the post it note." And he kind of trails off and he says, "You know, Dave was always talking about the." the future, <laughs> which I think is funny because our saying obviously is look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. <laughs> and then Pablo also said, quote, there was a desire to keep that team moving. So the Lucasfilm animation team moving forward. And so it sounds like there were there were always kind of conversations about what the next animated show would look like, even during production of the Clone Wars. And I thought Pablo's comment was interesting about a desire to keep that team moving. You know, also keep that team employed. Dave has also talked about this, about, you know, being a director is guiding the show along. It's also understanding that while you're here to tell good stories, you're also in charge of people's employment (laughs) and their livelihood. (laughs) And that's a big responsibility too. So I think this is something that they were always talking about. And from that first episode of Rebels Recon, it also sounds like uh, even before the Disney sale, that the next show wanted to have a focus on found family, which of course is what Rebels is is really known for. Right, and if it's
0: okay, can I read this quote from the Art of Star Wars Rebels from Dave Filoni's intro? No. Okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Star Wars is fundamentally a story about family. When Simon Kimberg and I would get together to talk about Star Wars Rebels, we would always come back to that touchstone. Rebels would be a story about a group of individuals who came together to form a new family while helping each other understand their roots and overcome the tragedies they had endured once the Gal- Galactic Empire took over. I don't want to read too much into this because I it's just too much, but... I think that when you speak to the idea of keeping people employed and keeping them busy, I think that it, it's only natural that they're going to explore a theme of found family and really explore this idea of keeping people together, of like charging forward in the face of change. And I, I think that you can feel it. And I really do believe that the the theme of Rebels, of Found Family, works the best in all of Star Wars. It's my mm-hmm. favorite version of it all. And I think that it's something that these creators were really, really, really honed in on. Because I think that they were all focused on staying together, t- making this amazing creative project. And um, working to, you know, create a, a history. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that the Found Family of Rebels is the strongest, which I think I think now is a good time to talk about, you know, we're 2 years out from the end of Rebels. It's the first show that we got to cover on the podcast. What is our relationship to it? Rebels to me,
0: I always go back and forth between whether I like the Clone Wars or Rebels better, but Rebels to me is like represents the perfect Star Wars show. It explored New characters that I didn't really have a lot of interest in in the very beginning and then grew to love individually and wanted to see every single one of their stories, even separately. Um, I think that it, it was the one that had the strongest creative vision and got the weirdest. I don't think that things have gotten that weird in Star Wars since season four of Rebels. And I my relationship to it is I look upon it with such fondness and such a love for the people who who made the show, who were in the show, and who supported the show. I I feel like it is just a very homey feeling I think of when I think about Star Wars Rebels.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels very cozy, that show. And I think the whole thing of, I mean, this was our first time for us of watching a show with an online community, even yeah. even before we started covering it on even before Sky Talkers was around, we were watching people react to it on Twitter. And it it was just really fun. And then all of us waiting for Rebels Recon to air the next day. Like I remember season four, before season four even aired, when we got the release date, we're like everyone was adding Tracy Kenobio yeah. <laughs> on Twitter. Like, okay. That's the release date for the show. When does Rebels Recon come out? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it's very important.
0: (laughs) It is very important.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that Rebels really does have it's. It's strange thinking about just how compressed the production for Rebels was initially, and kind of getting all of the pieces together, how the characters would look, w- where they were going to be, what their ultimate goal was. You know, everything that um, that was that did happen in such a short amount of time, relatively speaking, to to what they were used to. Well, I I don't say that because. The animation process is always, like, fast right. <laughs> and um, is, a, is a hard schedule from everything that we've read. But the beginning of Rebel sounds especially hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Even the design concept, when you read in the Star Wars Stormtroopers book, which I quoted last time. Um, but to me, I'm finding that that book is a real, real great resource for the, the history of Star Wars TV. Just FYI. <laughs> I want to read this quote about the the design process really of designing and keeping up with the Ralph McQuarrie sensibility and also making sure everything was quick and, but also really high quality. So here it is quote after the clone wars ended processes at the smaller Lucasfilm animation had to be streamlined and optimized. Simplicity was key when it came to designing all of our characters, we sort of approached it as as if it were going to be a 2D show, recalls Killian Plunkett. In other words, whatever your design was, the amount of visual information on it could be so much more that it would take some hapless artist who had to draw this as a piece of 2D cell animation days at end to do each frame. And I think that really, to me, speaks to the fact that, you know, things when... When you think about Rebels and you think about the compressed timeline, how much smaller the team was—it's it, things had to be simple. I think when you were referring to before the art style and like the beautiful matte paintings in the background and everything, I think that often when you look at a, a frame in Rebels, it's not so jam-packed like it is in Clone Wars. It is—it's more—it's wide open. It's—it's it's breathier, and I think that. Be, that it really does speak to the fact that things had to be simple and streamlined and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing I'm not saying it's a bad thing I just think that they had a smaller crew a smaller amount of time and from this they also did work with a couple of other different studios in order to assist the animation process they worked with CGCG which is a computer gen- computer generated animation studio that was also used in Star Wars Resistance and Clone Wars before as well as Virtuous Sparks which is an animation studio in Vietnam that worked on Star Wars Rebels from season two, so I do think that they they needed some assistance, and as the team was small, um, they were able to use other studios to assist them on their shots. And of course, later we they worked with the incredible studio Ghostbot to do the two D animation for Wolves in a Door and the World Between Worlds, which is like the coolest part of star wars rebels to me (laughs) and i really (laughs) but i think that uh, visually it is perfect and i love this idea that they they blended the 3d style with the 2d and that they used another studio to do it and you can really tell that it has this different vibe but it also just works so well and it needed to have the gildedness
1: of it the gildedness with the mortis mural it just it stands out so much it's it's so cool
0: (laughs) Right. And I think that there's something that's so beautiful about the simplicity that does speak to the theme of found family too. I think it all really is in conversation with each other. The simplicity of the the animation and the the design of Ralph McCory, the found family of it all, the, the smaller crew. It just, to me, it all works together to create a show that so many of us know and love.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to say one of my favorite things about Rebels is I've always just loved the The ghost, like the ghost, the ship, and yes. then they have the phantom and then they're all Spectre 5, Spectre 3, Spectre 4. I, I just, I don't know why, but that's always just made me happy that kind of detail like you've got the big ghost and the little phantom and then they're all little specters it's so great (laughs) i never really like understood that until like mid no yeah
0: i know i wasn't gonna say it (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh yeah it was one of those moments for me yeah Um, i think it was like season four
1: and yeah, yeah yeah we were talking about it you're like specter oh like a goat Oh, uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> but I I do think it's such like a cute. Um, I don't know. It's just like a cute detail among many within Star Wars Rebels and within Star Wars, of course. But I I've always liked that, and um, yeah, kind of that we don't really hear about ghosts all too often. So oh, well, we do sometimes, but yeah. it's more
0: in a force sense rather than any other way.
1: I guess when I think about this ghost, like the ship ghost, I think of, honestly, I always think of the ghost in Mario. (laughs) So do I, actually. Um, When the Boo, um, is it just Boo? It's (laughs) just Boo. Yeah. I always think of Boo and that that if the ghost, the ship were an actual ghost, it would look like Boo. (laughs) That's that's where I'm at, guys. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What do you think the legacy of Star Wars Rebels is?
1: I think that Star Wars Rebels, the legacy of it, I think it did a really great job at, at fostering an amazing fan community. Honestly, despite, you know, what we talked about earlier with the with the hashtag bring back the Clone Wars that kind of bombarded a lot of the online community with Rebels. I think that Rebels endures in, as a very tight-knit community not to say that Clone Wars doesn't but I feel like with Clone Wars there's kind of more sex of fandom within Clone Wars you know like people who are really there for the clones and then people like us who are there for like Anakin and Ahsoka and then people who are really there for the Jedi like everyone has seems to have very specific uh Uh, Interest in cloners, whereas it just feels kind of more one note in Rebels. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, I always think about how we always talk about how Rebels makes us cry like no other Star Wars thing. (laughs) And whenever we see like montages of Rebels, we inevitably tear up. And every single time. Every single time. That doesn't happen with other Star Wars for me, honestly. I cry in a lot of Star Wars, but. I consistently cry the most <laughs> with Rebel every single time. It doesn't, doesn't matter what it is. Um, so I think that I think that that's the legacy of of Rebels. Like we were saying, it's very familial. It's very cozy. It it was very weird at times too. It just it it felt sometimes it felt a lot more emotional than Clone Wars, and that's that's just kind of a personal opinion for me.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Part of me, when I think about Rebels, I think about how it was doing a lot of creative stuff that wasn't being done elsewhere in the company at that point. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I feel that way about a lot of animated projects because they just have the time, they have the ability, they have the resources, but I really especially felt this with, with rebels. And I think that's where we get our phrase, you know, look to the animation department for the future of star Wars because so many things that were appearing in rebels, I feel like fuels a lot of our speculation about the sequel trilogy and like the further movies and all these things where I really did feel like this sort of interconnectivity with the television shows and the way that the television show in question is rebels of course, but I, I feel like it it really did. I don't know, inform a lot of the way just like clone wars did rebels also informed the way I think about the force. I think it really zeroed in on that and also just explored a lot of dynamics with the master and apprentice that I just wasn't, I don't know. I think that they, they were just doing a lot of things that really surprised me. And it felt like, at this time period that not a lot of people were giving it the credit that it deserved,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I think is definitely a theme throughout all of Lucasfilm animation. I feel like it doesn't get the credit it deserves because there's so much creativity that's going on here. And when I think about Rebels, though, I really do think like, wow, there was they were really exploring a lot of things and really fleshing out the characters in ways that I did not expect from that first episode and giving oh, yeah. each character an arc that was very satisfying um, and long and I in in four seasons I do feel like I always say that like Rebels is a is a you know I love it because I can close it and like put it on a shelf because it's a complete story and it's not necessarily a complete story because there is that missing piece at the end but <laughs> at the same time I do feel like this was a a piece of D. Filoni's work that I'm like yeah, like you did that. That was great. There there's, there's a fan community that you you said something, you had a very consistent theme and it was ex- expertly pulled off.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I think you think about all of the characters and rebels and they all had their time to shine. You know, Hera, her relationship to the Rebellion, to Kanan, to the rest of the Ghost crew, that felt really fleshed out for me. Kanan, his relationship with the Jedi, his guilt over that, his burden to be a master to Ezra was always so well done. His sacrifice at the end, knowing when to let go. Sabine, her whole thing in season four, I mean, even though I remember at the time being like, When are we going to get Sabine content? It felt like it was like, why are we waiting so long for this? (laughs) But looking back on it, it's like, would I have loved it maybe in season two or three? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that like being able to see her story told in season four, which I do think is the best season of Rebels, that's really cool because I think that's the best season. So I think that like her story just really benefited from having that time to grow with the show. Like oh my god, you think about that with the whole arc with the dark dark saber, like going back for her. Fa- we got to see her mother. Oh my god, <laughs> we got a mother, <laughs> a living mother.
0: <laughs> imagine,
1: imagine, and we don't have I to just, imagine because Rebels gave it to us. Yeah, we don't have the our only living mother. <laughs> um, I mean well, Leia, Hera, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but you know, like we got yeah. to see Sabine interact with her mom, and. I just think about that scene so much between Kanan and Sabine with the Darksaber and him training her and how, oh my God, like how emotional that was. It was so good. And then of course, like Zeb and his relationship with Callus and that whole theme of forgiveness and redemption is of course right up our alley. And then, you know, Ezra. Oh my God. It just, number one, I think his, his season one, lightsaber combo blaster is one of my all-time favorite designs in star wars i just think it's so fun and it fits ezra so perfectly and i mean seeing where he ends up in season four at the end of it oh it's just like it breaks your heart but in a really great way (laughs) um i just i really do think that for the most part Rebels really did justice to all of its characters and gave them all a lot of time. And it's strange because even though Clone Wars ran longer, I don't necessarily, at least like in the first five seasons, I don't necessarily think that was the same case because I think that like the purpose of Clone Wars was different from the purpose of Rebels. But I definitely latch on to all of the uh, emotional character arcs in Rebels, whereas it's a little bit of a different relationship with Clone Wars. I don't know. I just, I love Rebels.
0: I love Rebels so much. I think it's important to mention that Dave Filoni, as, as Caitlin and I often kind of refer to Dave as like the person that does it all, but of course there's so many people who do so many things and who are in the role of supervising director it's not just Dave but I think that it is important to mention that in season three in the beginning of season three Dave Filoni wasn't he he relinquished the role of supervising director and put Justin Ridge in his place and it's I remember this panic in September 2016 about this being like oh my god (laughs) What does this mean? Is Dave leaving the company? And really, like there was a lot of rushed PR after this was released that that came out and said, quote, Dave is just as involved as ever overseeing all all aspects of Star Wars Rebels production as executive producer and occasionally directing episodes. In many ways, mentoring Justin and moving him to the role of supervising director has made it possible for Dave to be even more immersed in writing and story structure of the show, as well as creatively overseeing the future animation development. I think it's really interesting because during this time, again, I remember the panic (laughs) <laughs> Do you remember the panic, Caitlin? <laughs> yeah, of of being like, "Oh my gosh, Dave, and where are you going?" I, yeah, and I, it's clear to me, like when I look back on things that have been announced, that this was the the beginning of the Clone Wars potentially being resurrected. Uh, you know, Resistance coming on board, and the Mandalorian maybe even in picking up steam. So this whole restructuring of uh, Lucasfilm television versus Lucasfilm animation, it makes sense to me that Dave would take on even a larger role and, uh, Almost take a sort of back seat in the directing, but like overseeing the story structure, which I honestly think is the best for him, if I could say that. This is mm-hmm. obviously just like some armchair speculation, but I think it's interesting to note how we went from the season one supervising directors of Dave Filoni, Simon Kimberg, Greg, Greg Wiseman. They dropped Greg Wiseman in season two and brought back Henry Gilroy of The Clone Wars. And then after season three, Justin Ridge was promoted and Dave was still obviously very much involved as we see through most of Rebels Recon and everything.
1: Yeah, and of course he was directing and writing on... A lot of episodes and yeah. into season four too, obviously. So yeah,
0: I just mentioned that because there was a lot of things happening at Lucasfilm Animation that we were not privy to at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: as as usual, we're not <laughs> again just fans. And I think it's it was it's interesting to think about how much things were in development in 2016. If you think about a Star Wars movie that needs three years of production time from art to release. I think that we can think about uh, the idea of certain things that we have seen being released in the past year uh, starting the early discussions during this time.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And if you think about something like um, resistance in production or even just the idea of it along with, you know, whatever else is going on at Lucasfilm that was in development or even just in talks, like Dave needed to be, commit like more committed to just development and seeing those things through and being in those meetings about what do we want the next thing to be rather than trying to do it at the same time as running rebels the same way that he was for seasons one and two so it just it just kind of made sense and it also makes sense with how they talk about Clone Wars how in like the beginning You know, George is all over everything and he's in every meeting and approving everything. And, like, most of the episode ideas are coming directly from him. But the further they got into the production of Clone Wars, then it's like, oh, you know, like, the other writers and directors like Dave are – they're getting more and more responsibility. Like, they're pitching their own ideas for episodes and things like that, you know? So it's just – it feels – looking back on it now, it's like this is kind of the natural progression of how things would have gone. So – it makes sense but at the time it was like why are you stepping away (laughs) what's changing we're just all so anxious
0: about change at this point i know so
1: (laughs) (laughs) wait i still am
0: (laughs) it never ends Mm.
1: no it does not (laughs) all right are we ready to move into part three yes FreeMaker is just getting going right now. Yeah, and it's a new,
0: totally new kind of story within right? Star Wars. It's got a lot of fun, but it still references a lot of the storylines that we know and love. How do you balance that established mythology with this new tone?
2: Well, you know, you know what's interesting is, is that, pardon the pun, but they fit together perfectly. Lego and Star Wars. Like, humor is such a part of Star Wars that it is not a stretch at all to bring the Lego style humor. Into that universe and and make all the parts fit together again. Pardon the awful puns. I'm so sorry, everybody.
1: <laughs> okay, welcome to part three, <laughs> which is kind of a little bit of everything. And uh, we're gonna start with one of my favorite things in this mixed bag of everything, and that is strange magic. <laughs>
0: yes, we've talked about strange magic on the show in in our George Lucas series called By George, because strange magic was a a labor of love for George Lucas, you know, was in production for over 15 years. It was kind of starting and stopping production with Lucasfilm Animation. And I think ILM, not necessarily under the Lucasfilm Animation hat for all, the, all that time. And people were really hard at work at this project. And um, it was still under development when Disney bought Lucasfilm. And it was released in January 2015. And again, this is just my armchair speculation, but I would I think that Disney kind of didn't know what to do with this project when they came on board of Lucasfilm. We love Strange magic. Like love it. It is such a fun story, a fairy tale. and it was, you know, critically panned, whatever. I don't care. It is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember I have such fond memories of like analyzing how it could impact the sequel trilogy, and I still think that it kind of does with the the dark and light and the forbiddenness of the yin and yang of it all. And oh my gosh, it's so good, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> but also like the potential,
1: yeah, and
0: yeah. So I think that when when Disney kind of came into Lucasfilm. Strange Magic remains the only Lucasfilm animation project to not be a Star Wars title. We'll see if that ever changes, but at this point, I don't really see it changing. No. And I think that what Disney is interested in Lucasfilm animation producing really is just Star Wars stuff. And like same, but at the same (laughs) time, Strange Magic is always going to be an interesting case because, again, it was a labor of love for George Lucas. He said that Again, I don't know how I feel about this quote, but you can just take it as you will. He says, just like Star Wars was designed for 12-year-old boys, says Lucas, Strange Magic was designed for 12-year-old girls. He made Strange Magic for his daughters and really wanted to make a an epic fairy tale with awesome rock music, which I think cost the company so, so much money. God. To license this music from the Beatles and Beyonce, and we're talking like big names. If you haven't seen Change Magic, it's kind of hard to track down. It's not on Disney Plus, which is interesting, and I I guess it is in Canada, but it's not in the U.S. And armchair speculation, but in January 2015, when they kind of pushed this out, it was it was distributed by Walt Disney Studio Motion Pictures and Touchstone Pictures, um, and. I just I honestly just feel like Disney really didn't know what to do with this movie. And I still think that to me it represents a a pureness, a purity really of how George just really wanted to make what he wanted to make and for his daughters.
1: Again, George just does whatever he wants. Yeah. And they <laughs> basically inherited strange magic as part of the sale. And it was like, if you buy Star Wars. You must also release Strange Magic. (laughs) Yeah, and finish the project. Yeah, and this – Red Tails was also happening at this time. Like, George is is putting out a couple of different things that aren't Star Wars related, and they are all kind of not received well critically. But Strange Magic – like you, I don't really know how to feel about the Star Wars was designed for 12-year-old boys, Strange Magic for 12-year-old girls, when – George mostly has always said that Star Wars was for young people and never really kind of specified, but I guess that's a different conversation for a different time. Um yeah, if if I could
0: say I think that he really means that it was for his daughters, but yeah. I I I don't necessarily like the quote, but whatever.
1: I don't either. But it's yeah. funny it's funny too because while Strange Magic is a fairy tale romance, it's it's not a pretty movie. Like, it's a pretty movie, but the characters aren't pretty. Like, the Bog King does not turn into a handsome prince at the end of it. He remains an ugly Bog King. Um, so I always thought that that was very interesting about Strange Magic, is that while it is, uh, technically speaking, a very well-done film like the animation is of course spectacular the hair on the sisters like that always stands out to me when I think about that movie but I wouldn't say that the characters are necessarily even overwhelmingly cute or overwhelmingly like beautiful in the way that we would think about a typical Disney princess you know even like our main female character has like a short pixie cut haircut which is not something have we ever seen a pixie haircut on a Disney princess I don't think so. Um, And then, like, you know, the bog king is – he's a a boogeyman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's, like, a big uh, cricket, roach, bug. Which, looking back on this movie now, I don't know if, as a 12-year-old girl, how I would have felt about this film. But watching it now, I'm, like, I'm really glad that he didn't turn into the handsome prince at the end of it. Um, I can really appreciate George's vision for this film and pulling – Obviously, um, it's based on a Midsummer's Night Dream by Shakespeare, and pulling really heavily on that, and just committing to it a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and Beauty and the Beast as well of yeah. not having the Beast turn into the handsome prince, but instead it's on the inside that counts, you know. And I think that's such an important message. And if we really can go to George's whole sensibility, and that really is packaging these themes into things that young people are, are going to like and are revisiting certain fairy tales makes me think of that book that we mentioned in the last episode about
1: the uses of enchantment
0: yes the uses of enchantment about repackaging and taking in certain fairy tales and what you take from it mm-hmm. and i think this is always something that was going on in in george's mind and it's one of the reasons why i think that you and I love this movie, again, which is not critically well-received. No. But it, to me, I think it is a, a pretty pure expression of Lucasfilm animation and their hard labor and the development of all these different pro- uh, processes and changes. Because my understanding of this movie also is that it went through a lot of changes and how long an idea can take to kind of percolate until it is released. And I do wonder if it, like would ever have been released in 2015 or if it could have even taken longer if there wasn't that, you know, need to move on to work on other projects.
1: Oh, it definitely could have taken longer. <laughs>
0: yeah. George
1: George would have made it take longer. I mean, you think about it, it's like even from the sale in 2012, still another three years until it was put out. And I think I was also reading recently about Strange Magic is that they announced it in something like October and then it was out in January, and it had a very short oh, yeah. kind of promotion that was very uh, strange. <laughs> no pun intended.
0: Yeah, it was. It just kind of squeaked out, which is sad because I,
1: I – again, w- we love it. So good. Guys, watch it, please. <laughs> yeah, it's worth renting. It's a fun ride. Um, yeah, I think everyone should see Strange Magic at least once. If you're a fan of George Lucas and his work – you, it's you, worth it yeah you should definitely watch strange magic if you're a raylo and you haven't watched strange magic go watch strange magic
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> and imagine it's very us, Reylo.
1: imagine us watching strange magic in 2015 I don't actually think I watched it immediately when it came out but for our by George series which was in 2018 after we became raylos and like wow <laughs>
0: I felt like no one was talking about it either. And we were like, are we watching the same thing?
1: We're like, like, oh my God, this is from George Lucas. This is Raylo. Clearly this is episode nine. Like all the pieces are
0: here. Yeah. It's, It's come up before in a lot of behind the scenes stuff when it comes to Star Wars. So again, it is like. It's one of these things that is sort of tangentially related in terms of George Lucas, like you mentioned.
1: Okay, so next we had the development of Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures, which aired on Disney XD and as the name suggests... (laughs) It was Lego and Star Wars together. (laughs) And it aired, did I already say this? It aired from June 2016 to 2017. And I have to be honest, Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures is probably the thing I'm least familiar with when it comes to Star Wars animation. It's definitely something I've seen. I haven't seen all of it, but it is, it's very fun. It's very cute. It, it's a good time, and I need to sit down and watch it in its entirety,
0: yeah, because it's on Disney plus. Mm-hmm. you know, Kian, I have memories of like playing the Lego Star Wars games with you, yeah, um, and they're just so fun. And this is another example, just like you know, Star Wars Clone Wars the Two d series um of and even Ewoks and Droids of another merchandise tied series. And I think that that is sort of emerging as a theme as we discuss Lucasfilm animation, as it can be a sort of backbone for selling toys. And Lego is obviously an IP that like doesn't necessarily need Star Wars to prop them up, but it's an interesting partnership. And I think that w- the more I read about Freemaker Adventures, the more I'm impressed by it. And I feel like this is generally the experience of people who Dive deep into Freemakers because the people that worked on it are the people that are working on our favorite Star Wars movies. And it's just surprising. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I didn't give them enough credit because this was, yes, produced by Lucasfilm Animation Department and other studios as well. Um, but like we're we're talking like people like Matthew Wood, Doug Chang, Leyland Chi, and they all collaborated on this project. And I don't know. I just feel like I don't give it enough credit. I don't think people give it enough credit. It's really fun. And it really sprang from an idea of Disney wanted to develop a Lego Star Wars TV show. It's fun. It's just like, it's a fun show.
1: (laughs) It is a very fun show. And yeah, it's like, did Lego need a Star Wars show for their stuff no but the relationship they have with star wars is very long (laughs) and the lego is always a fixture at star wars conventions and they're like you know force friday is happening during this time too for the first time and having all the new lego sets and stuff it's like to this day i walk through a target and i will always walk down the lego star wars aisle (laughs) and be like I wish these were just a little less expensive. <laughs> I know. I feel the same way. Because I just,
0: I love building Legos. They're so fun. Yeah. Also, I think that it should be noted that this series was not canon. It was, like, canon related. Some of the stuff could be canon, canon but it wasn't adjacent. necessarily canon. Yeah, canon adjacent. <laughs> it's
1: like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean? think that it
0: doesn't mean that the the people who worked on this show and the the, the characters and stuff are still very real, you know, but it's... It's just interesting because in terms of all of the animated shows that came out in the Disney era, this was not canon. And this is probably the only one that's really explicitly not canon, unlike Galaxy of Adventures and Forces of Destiny. You know, those are also sort of even more like closer to canon, if not tangentially canon. Um, this one probably is explicitly not canon.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that is interesting to note because it's. I feel like Lego Star Wars, the Fur Maker Adventures is really just fun and yeah. it, it has a lot of heart to it. And I don't want to make it sound like it's a shallow show by any means because it's definitely not. But it is just, you know, they're Legos <laughs> and they're very cute and it's very fun and watching things like rebuild and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> it's always funny. <laughs> it's always the fun. thing is, is that I. In, to our previous conversation about character integrity, it makes sense that Disney would want to want to create a a whole new cast of Lego characters that live in the Star Wars universe and deal with things that are familiar to us, like Pod Racers and um, Roger, which I think is the funniest name for uh, a Trade Federation droid. Because, of course, (laughs) and, uh, you know, characters and iconography that we're familiar with, but not necessarily dealing with the main core Star Wars characters like we are in the games, the Lego Star Wars games. It's just a different way to approach this IP that Disney is working with for content and things like that, but not necessarily dealing with this whole character integrity issue that you deal with with detours and Star Wars weekends and things like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Lego, with their projects like this, with their characters and when they're working within franchises, right? Because it's not only Star Wars that has Lego things associated with it. It always – it has this – all of them have this very similar type of comedy within them. And kind of the tone is very consistent Mm -hmm. across most of Lego, I would say, as far as their different franchise partnerships So it it fit right in with Lego, and so I I think it all kind of makes sense, honestly. Totally. Okay, now for our last kind of tidbit in this um, mixed bag of part three. We have Forces of Destiny, which Forces of Destiny is another (laughs) (laughs) micro-series.
0: With merchandise, (laughs) A (laughs) a <laughs> detection. <yeah>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who
1: who would have thought it? Um but Force of Destiny definitely has the most backlash against it, which wonder why. Mm. Um <sighs> sexism. <laughs> 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 but uh to to kind of come back to focus, um, Forza of Destiny began airing in July 2017. It was announced at Star Wars Celebration Orlando in April 2017. You and I were at that panel where they discussed Forza of Destiny. Daisy Ridley was there. It was a big deal. We felt very cool. It's fine. It's um, awesome. It was great. <laughs> and we were in the second row, too. So I remember sitting there and being like... <laughs> I could run up and hug Daisy Ridley right now and I'm so close that I would get to her before the security would get to me. <laughs> so true. And we were on the the live stream the entire time too and I was like smiling the entire
0: time <laughs> hoping that they'd zoom in on me, you know, hamming it up.
1: <laughs> you got to. You got to. Yeah. But uh, it was uh, animated the animation for for the destiny was completed by ghostbot um, which like we said they did do the 2d animation for wolves in a door and world between worlds and for the Mortis gods and Star Wars rebels um, and, and these all it was two seasons and basically it was they came out in I think it's eight episodes uh that would air on YouTube but I think there are 32. Episodes. And so each time that something would be uploaded onto YouTube, it would be a couple of episodes put together because they really were short. They're like one and a half minutes to I think three, I think four minutes is the longest one. But most of them kind of sit in that two to three minute range. So it, even I think 2D Clone Wars, I think their longest episode was like 12 minutes, maybe. So this one is very micro on the micro series chain. <laughs> so one thing that I found was interesting, uh, like we've been talking about, "Forces of Destiny, of course, had the merchandising side that went along with it with the books and the dolls um that came out with the show at the same time it was obviously meant to market towards girls i think that's clear from the fact that it's focused it was mostly focusing on heroines and it was all the dolls were they were called called adventure dolls um they looked very different from anything else that's really come out as far as star wars toys i think they're great dolls <laughs> um they had a lot of articulation to them they i think what they were 12 inch maybe a little shorter. I thought they were pretty. Yeah. (laughs) They were good dolls. Me too. But this show was developed as a part of the Disney Consumer Products and Interactive Media Media Subsidiary, which was formed within Disney in June 2015. And it was a merger of Disney Consumer Products and Disney Interactive. And the whole point of this subsidiary was to do what Forces of Destiny did (laughs) and do content and merchandise together. So... We have forces of destiny (laughs) and it makes sense. And they, I don't know a lot about this. So this is, this is pulled from Wikipedia, but they, the article made it sound like they were, they had plans to do something similar with Marvel that Mm. forces of destiny ended up being, but I, I don't, it doesn't, not that I know of ever kind of came to fruition.
0: Yeah, so I can give you some background on that and that DC has actually done something similar. A lot of companies have done this. Again, I, as I said in the last episode, I challenge you to not look upon this negatively, but just realize that it's just a business decision where content and merchandise are being created in tandem rather than content without merchandise. And I think that things like My Little Pony, right? We're all very familiar with the My Little Pony fandom really arose in the past like 10 years from a similar product launch with Hasbro like this and you say it's Disney consumer products and media but it's also Hasbro that has a a part Mm -hmm. in in this launch of Forces of Destiny so there's a model that is successful some more than others here um I think that we've seen it obviously successfully with Star Wars Clone Wars and My Little Pony with DC. I think it's called Hero Girls or something like that. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting it right now. But I think the idea was these things were going to be very similar because there was a model that was proven for DC. But I do think that in terms of marketability, DC superheroes and superhero heroines, I suppose, are more marketable, more fun to play with than characters that were maybe made for like a, an older audience. Like, I think Star Wars these days, Star Wars films are more targeted for like teenagers, you know, twelve, twelve year old boys, twelve year old girls, whatever. And I think that the idea of taking these shorts and putting them for like three year olds for for Barbie dolls, I think is is it's just a hard hard task to do and to do it successfully. Um I think that also, barbie does something similar (laughs) barbie is a a company that's been around for a long time but i do think it's uh kind of important in this conversation because barbie has kind of like totally reinvented itself for a social media presence and she has vlogs and a bunch of media content that comes with a a barbie but at the same time there's like the longevity of barbie dolls that exist Mm -hmm. in the same way that um I don't know. I just don't think that it, it really worked super well for Star Wars at this point. And maybe if it if they, they proved it out for longer, because it didn't return after these first two seasons, maybe there's more. I think we've heard some rumblings about it, but not necessarily anytime soon, um, especially since, as you said, the subsidiary of Disney Consumer Products and Interactive Media went defunct in 2018, so... I don't think they really gave it that much of a chance, or it really didn't work out for them. Um, and maybe it's up to Hasbro really to kind of produce these things. Uh, I don't know that so- that side that well, but that's just again from my marketing experience. That's kind of how I see it.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that the this kind of brings us back to George's statement about Star Wars for twelve year old girl boys and uh, Strange Magic for twelve year old girls, and how that kind of sits with us wrong mm-hmm. not the best way <laughs> and yeah. i i kind of felt the mixed emotions with forces of destiny too because uh, you know i was 24 25 when this was coming out and i was like i see so clearly what you're doing and i don't know how i feel about it <laughs> i because I think I'm glad that they had something that was so explicitly for girls in Star Wars. I think I'm really glad about that. But like you said, it's like, did they really give it the chance that it deserved? I mean, this was a this was a big, small project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it had all of the all of the original cast members voiced their characters in this show. Um, I mean, except for except for like the like. Oh, Ewan and Hayden and Natalie, but, like, everyone from Clone Wars who voiced those characters voiced their characters in Forces of Destiny. Daisy Ridley, Kelly Marie Tran, um, Lupita Nyonga, um, Nyong'o, John Boyega, like, they were, Oscar Isaac, they were all in this. <laughs> like had All of the big names attached to this. And nothing was met with more hate online than Forces of Destiny when it aired. And it was it was again one of that something that was just so disappointing to see, and talking about like content being created around merchandise and how Force of Destiny was really vilified for that. When as as has kind of become a theme in this series, this is happening all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> within Star Wars. And like you said, Barbie Mattel has routinely recreated itself and its brand around the next generation i mean barbie has had how many movies right she's a film star but she started out as merchandise and Mm -hmm. she created all of this content around her my little pony um gi joe started off as a doll Bratz dolls started off as dolls and then had their own tv shows and movies so like none of this is new but it was Forces of Destiny that really just had a lot of mean things said about it, like the most mean things. And so it it almost makes me wish that they had just really gone for it and done done like an actual TV series with Forces of Destiny or like something that was focused around like a completely new female character. It didn't necessarily have to be – the you know like ray and padme and ahsoka and all them i don't know i just think force of destiny was really unique i really love the style of it the colors um the colors from force of destiny were the inspiration for our logo for when we covered the last episode or the last season of rebels i just think that force of destiny was really special and really unique and it didn't really felt that it got its chance and at the time it felt like they just kind of stopped because of the online hate that it was getting. But then when you see that like the subsidiary itself went defunct in twenty eighteen, like there are probably a lot of other pieces going on here <laughs> that it's not just online comments. But it definitely felt like that at the time. But I don't know. I hope that they I hope that they do something else that is very explicitly geared towards girls and is like a doll with hair that can be combed (laughs) and she can have different outfits. I think that's, I I think that's really cool. And to be able to have that with star Wars, I think would be, would be great. Um, Yeah. And it's necessary, honestly, because girls have been here from the beginning of time. Girls like the black series action figures, the original Kenner toys, like girls are going to be here to consume that obviously. And they have been, but the adventure doll is also really cool. And I want more of that too. And I want more stuff in like pretty packaging. And I don't always think that Star Wars packaging and like that kind of stuff is pretty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cause it's like, it's not.
1: Cause it's not. <laughs> yeah,
0: I just think that it's, it's interesting. Cause my personal take is that I don't think anything should be super gendered in terms of uh girl show, boy show. It's just makes me yeah. feel uncomfortable. And I don't, Think it's necessarily the way things should be. I just have a lot of warring feelings about this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I, I really, I didn't buy a doll, and maybe I'm part of the problem. Like, I, (laughs) I don't think that the people who are buying Star Wars toys and collecting them really bought these, and maybe that's the main money maker of Star Wars toys right now, rather than actual kids buying them. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't work in the industry, but I. I feel like I love the concept of a micro series focused on a character and focused on female characters. I think that's great. Like, I really do. And I think it's important. And I like the idea of highlighting these, like, smaller stories that are essentially canon. And the things have, you know, part of the stuff that have appeared in certain episodes of Force of Destiny have appeared later, like, in I think the latest season of the Clone Wars stuff came in from the Forces of Destiny episode with Ahsoka. And I think that is so cool. And I remember when Forces of Destiny aired and there was that episode of whether or not Ahsoka knew about Anakin and Padme. And now we can look at, we can point to an episode and be like, yeah, Ahsoka knew way more than you think that she did. And (laughs) it's this in this episode of Forces of Destiny. I think the art style was cute. I liked it a lot. Maybe it wasn't super child centric. I think that's probably something that could be examined. But in this sort of autopsy of like whether or not Forces of Destiny was good or bad, I enjoyed it. I think you enjoyed it. And I liked the the art style. And I'm sad that we don't have the episodes that like we were I want more Ray episodes. They they released a Ray and Kylo doll set. <laughs> and never we never got, got the Forces of Destiny Raylo episode. And where is it, man? <laughs> <laughs> the detours
1: on yeah. a shelf
0: um what unreleased micro series <laughs> what other next? unreleased micro yeah.
1: <laughs> on the shelf of the detours and the Raylo for of destiny episode i don't know yeah i think that i think you're so right though it's like so hard to like i i hate thinking about star wars is for boys and that like then this is star wars for girls but at the same time like i said i also want like pretty things um I guess I guess would like look like they're meant only for girls. So I I definitely think it, it's a challenge, but I do want more stuff like this. And I I yeah, I thought the animation style was really cute and I did really like the dolls. I don't I don't buy Star Wars toys in general, so I wasn't going to buy the Forces of Destiny doll but i liked them and the people the kids that i knew that had them or or heard of really like them too so i hope that this is something they revisit because i think it was really fun and i think it's it deserves more time and maybe just kind of readjusting the framework of what it looks like i don't know i just yeah and like please release the Raylo one
0: <laughs> release the relo for the destiny because <laughs>
1: Don't you remember? This is when uh, we were the weekend we were in New York City. Yes, and, I do remember. Uh, the first episode with Anakin came out, and we were like, "He looks so pretty." Everyone online hashtag Pretty Anakin, Who and then forgot. You and I went to um, a store to make our own lipstick in New York City, and you named your lipstick Pretty Anakin. Like you got to name, we got to name our lipsticks, and you named yours Pretty Anakin, and. I named mine like Lucky with Luke or something like that. <laughs> but the, at the time, it was like Pretty Anakin was all the rage on on Twitter.
0: Yeah, twenty seventeen. What a time! I think that, and also that lipstick is still very good. I'm very into it, and the color is pretty similar to Pretty Anakin's lips.
1: I think that's that's that was the whole point of your lipstick. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I think that this is actually something that we're going to see often about the sort of trial and error um, Mm -hmm. of content creation aligned with products in the future. And because I don't think it's going away. I think it's a successful model as more and more kids, um, the, the demographic of who they're selling to is watching YouTube and short form series like micro series are just they're here to stay. It's interesting when you compare it to Star Wars Clone Wars, the 2D series that didn't necessarily live on YouTube, but it was on Cartoon Network. And that was also meant to sell toys and bridge this gap, but mainly sell toys. And I think that I wonder how that would do now that it was on if it was on YouTube in the same way that Forces of Destiny was and what we're going to talk about next time with Galaxy of Adventures. So it's just interesting to consider this model. And I do think that we're going to have several starts and stops of them trying out different products with a content vertical aligned to it in this way. It's fun because we get to enjoy this sort of content as well, even though it's like kind of sort of trying to sell us something. And it's the animation is fun. The voices are great. We get to learn the new stuff. Another thing that I love, just one last thing to mention, is I loved the thing where we got to see Hera and Han interact—it's oh, so fun, <laughs>
1: it's
0: so good—and it's it's actually like a really treasured moment between those characters because there's a sort of connectivity that happened in this. And that's again, if I can sum up animation and Lucasfilm and Star Wars animation, there's just a beautiful ability to bridge everything and do like weave this beautiful tapestry of like how Star Wars can connect. Of course, Hera would meet Han, and of course they would argue about whose ship is better. It just is perfect, and it was necessary. In almost you know if we were gonna have these two characters in this series then yes have them meet and and like argue over piloting it's so awesome and to have these sort of moments I'm very thankful for them and I think that uh Ghostbot did such a great job of animating this and um they're they're just really fun to watch uh on their own and now they're on Disney plus and on YouTube which is great I love it
1: yeah, and I think the, the other conversation in here, too, as far as, like you said, seeing kind of s- starts and stops and um, trial and error, it's kind of like, what's our what's our barometer here of success? You know, if everything has to be an, a new hope in 1977 success, then if that's the only kind of point of success, then everything else is a failure, you know? And so I think to even call Force of Destiny a failure is probably unfair, and it's just... It's just a thing that they did, you know, mm-hmm. and it it stands out in its focus on female characters, but it doesn't stand out as far as the like merchandising side of things. Um, but it, like, you know, it's just it's just something that they did, and you know, like <laughs> you said, what's the next thing that they're going to do? And I hope they don't completely abandon the types of things that they tried in this series for the next one, whatever that is. And I hope that there are things that they do differently than what they did in Forces of Destiny.
0: Yeah, like how can you learn from it and how can you create a better product next time or not, you know? It is always, media is always a trial and error situation, especially when you're dealing with such a large IP like Star Wars where it's just like, okay, we'll try that. If it doesn't work, doesn't work. guess we'll just move on to the next thing because that's kind of where we're at right now with Mm -hmm. Star Wars content. And in the Disney era where it just seems like there's just so much Star Wars content being rumored, coming out, in development, all these things, the trial and error aspect of it all is just very prevalent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I have to remind myself that not everything is going to be as successful as the last thing, nor does it need to be, and that it's still it's still valuable. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say about this period of Star Wars animation?
0: I don't think so. This was a weird time period to revisit. Yeah. Because there was just so much on the horizon and so much happening. I mean, even with Forces of Destiny, we were in the midst of, we're like on the cusp when this was being released of The the Last Jedi. So we're right in the thick of the sequel trilogy, really. And Mm-hmm. waiting for the next content and uh, Rebels was about to finish and all these things were happening um, that it's just a it's an interesting time where things were so shiny and new and we didn't know how to react to how much stuff we were getting and I think that My personal opinion is right now in July 2020 when we're recording this, we're on the cusp of something else completely different happening Mm -hmm. of this whole new content change and a whole slew of new content that's coming and new Star Wars projects and stories being developed because right now we're still kind of in the dark about what, what really really comes next in terms of a timeline. We know all these certain things, but this time period was interesting from especially the animation circuit just because it was like they were we know that they were developing all these different things and really just finding their footing again with disney owning lucasfilm and like what that even meant to be lucasfilm animation
1: yeah yeah exactly and then of course right in the middle of it is when we started Talkers. so yes it's a good period. It's a good period. <laughs> a lot of good things coming out of the animation department. So uh, I look back on this time very fondly. Um, at the time, there was a lot of question marks. <laughs> but now I, I, I see all the pieces. So I get in now. <laughs> Me too. Well, I think that is going to wrap up the second episode of our animation series. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We've been having a really good time going through and kind of just diving back into our headspaces at these different times. And as we've kind of been referencing throughout these episodes of like, oh, that's what spring 2013 felt like. Crazy as far as being a Star Wars fan. So I hope you guys have enjoyed it too. And if you want to talk about it more with us, you can find us online on Twitter at SkyTalkers Pod or on our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We are also on our website, Skytalkers.com. You can email us or find us on Facebook and Instagram if you're interested. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would really, really appreciate it if you took a couple seconds to go and do that it helps other people find our show and if you're interested in other ways to support us and join our discord community you can check us out on patreon as well yes and i want
0: to say a huge thank you to these patrons neil z hammy lump of a danny blessed cheesemaker lady valkyrie kate larry james claudia and david thank you all so much for supporting us
1: yes thank you guys so much and as always until next time may the force be with you